Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. My conversation today is with Kia Hook, a professor in interaction design at KTH in Stockholm, Sweden, and director of Mobile Life Centre. We start off talking about her early research career and then go on to talk about some of the experiences she's had in co-leading this large research centre in building cultures and managing relationships with industry partners. She's also just come back from a year-long sabbatical and she talks about the profound effect it had on her giving her time and space to reconnect to what is important, to reset her own rules, and to rethink how she wants to engage as an academic. We ended up going over the hour today, but it was all so interesting I didn't want to cut anything out. If your time is limited, you can go to the Changing Academic Life webpage, and as always, there are notes there with rough timestamps so that you can navigate directly to specific sections that you might be interested in. But if you do have the time to listen to the whole thing, treat yourself. It's well worth listening to. Kia, thank you very much for your time and on a Saturday. Thank you. And I've been looking forward to having this chat since we met in May and you made some comment about your sabbatical that you were on and Mm. how it was really making you stop and reflect on lots of issues. Mm. So Mm. I'm really excited to get to those things. But maybe first, just for a bit of context... Um, I see that you finished your PhD in 96 and it was in, <laughs> and not, mm. I think, when was I, 98? Um, mm. So we're around the same time. Mm. Um, and you did it in some information retrieval, helping people sort of search large you know, online spaces, information spaces, and then you moved into some more effect, social navigation mm. and then more into effective computing. Mm. And so you've had... Uh, Mm. Lots of evolutions in your mm. research focus. Mm. True that, true that. So my thesis was using intelligent user interfaces. Mm. And this I, was in a computer science faculty, yeah, was it? Yeah, it was in a computer science faculty and it was in the early days. We didn't really have internet. <laughs> or we did have internet, but we didn't have the massive amounts of data that we have now. So machine learning was around and so on, but it wasn't really possible to do the stuff that people do now. Mm. And a lot of AI at the time was rule-based, and I was kind of disappointed in in what it could do and wanted to bring a more sort of humane, human-computer interaction yeah. <clears throat> sort of angle to it. And that's what I did with my uh, thesis and that work, their community, the AI community and, and intelligent user interfaces, it's a really good community in that they cite one another properly. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. still getting a lot of citations for that work. But personally, I got very disappointed in AI, very disappointed. Okay. And I felt like uh, they, it's not doing what they promise that it's going to do. And so this is where I came up with the ideas around social navigation. Mm. You have to understand, this is 1996, so there weren't any recommenders around, or there there was a a little bit of stuff like that, but I don't think we had understood at the time what it meant to have loads of people doing stuff, leaving traces on the internet that we could harvest and use. 
So, so this is why I did the the social navigation stuff because I felt like mm, if you put people in there and their judgment of what mm. they find interesting, mm. that's the way to build mm. proper intelligence. Mm. So this is what social navigation was to did me. Did you feel brave at the time doing some this brand new area, brand new approach? Yeah. Or scared? I was working at uh, Computer Science mm. Institute here in Stockholm, mm. six, and uh, <clears throat> there were 100, about 100 researchers, and um, they were all hardcore computer science. And when I said, well, I don't care about your algorithms and your, you know, I, I think that we need to put people here because it's people making choices, mm. and it's their choices that we are interested in. Uh, I was... You know, they, they had ways of talking about me as, oh, it's the humanities uh, people, you know, with, with a little sneer. <laughs> and now, of course, you go like, wow, you know, that's still hardcore if you compare to the stuff I'm doing today. It was still, you know, you know it was really computer science, mm. what I was doing. Um, but at the time, yeah, I was a bit brave. But I think um, as a lot of young researchers, I was angry. I'm passionate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was yeah. just like, this is not working. Yeah. We need to make it work. Yeah. Uh, and looking at what people actually do, not what they say they're doing, but mm. how they actually search for stuff. Mm. They don't search in that objective manner. They don't use hierarchical menus to mm. figure out stuff. Mm. They actually just go to someone else and ask, so how did you do this? Yeah. And then they use that as part of their solution. Yeah. So for me, that was a path into... Uh, taking more seriously what it means to be human. Yeah, and you've continued <clears throat> that as well, sort of moving mm. into the effect of computing, mm. and again at, at a very early time with when yeah. people were looking at like, yeah. those issues. So it was the same, in a way, the same thinking. I was like, okay, so it seems like people are following the advice of other people when they search for information or when they do stuff. Um, and not only does this make them figure out what to find and what to do, it also makes them feel more secure. It's an emotional process. It's like if you're citing this and this author and everybody else also seems to be citing that mm -hmm. author, mm -hmm. if I do that, then mm -hmm. I'll be more secure. I'll yeah. feel more that I'm doing the right thing, that yeah. I'm not lonely in what I'm doing. Um, and the same thing on, on the internet. Like I can, if I see that other people have been here, they've done stuff, they seem to have been doing these things, mm -hmm. then that is what people are. We look for other people mm. for guidance and for culture and for rituals and for, you know, stuff. So step by step, I sort of saw social navigation as an emotional process also. Yeah. And then when you read up on emotion, uh, what that is, it's not uh, this little organ in your brain that affects your thinking only. It is everything. Mm. It is uh, your body, it's your movements, it's mm. your hormone levels, it's your, it's your thinking, it's your sociality, it's your survival, it's also what makes life fun. Mm. And so step by step, it allowed me to become more and more uh, human mm. <laughs> in my research. Yeah. <laughs> and also moving more towards a design orientation yeah. as well in, yeah. in, in connecting yeah. with the human and but I think as a computer scientist, I was, a, I was trained as a computer scientist, and as a computer scientist, the way you prove that something works is by building it. Yeah. And so in that sense, most computer science researchers are designers of sorts. And as I was interested in, in interaction, then of course I built 
the systems yeah. to sort of prove that mm. social navigation works and you can use it on food recipes or you can you can do this or you can do that um, affective interaction works you can you can build this you can build that and so that is a designerly approach mm. but it's perhaps not it wasn't at the beginning it was not industrial design yeah. it was not with a care for aesthetics it was very much more like the computer science uh, existence yeah. proof I can build this thing, yeah. therefore it is possible to build this thing. <laughs> Whereas now you've evolved more to bring in these yeah. other aspects into the design. Yeah, because it becomes obvious, of course, that um, that it, it matters. If you care anything about bodies and emotions and, and what we are, then you mm. know mm. Uh, that you need to care about the whole, the mm. whole uh, and the aesthetics of yeah. stuff. So. so you're coming to the end of a, t- a ten-year-long research center called mobile life yeah <laughs> uh, and that was funded by a swedish, swedish the, the government mm. uh, through yeah. an organization called yeah. vinova yeah. yeah so that seemed quite innovative for the time as mm. well mm. how did that come about so we were four research leaders uh Kornqvist, oscar julien annika van and myself um, and we were all at the time working with uh, quite innovative new stuff around mm-hmm. um, various topics around mm-hmm. mobile apps, uh, you become uh, uh, pervasive games, uh, always a bit far out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I'm still amazed that we got the funding <laughs> because what we said in that proposal that we made in, we started writing in 2004. <clears throat> this is a long time ago. Um, we said, well, we think that the world is going to be populated with lots of mobile and ubiquitous services. And they're not going to be about work. They're going to be about fun, mm. playfulness, mm. enjoyment, mm. Uh, the good life, um, games, and so on. And a lot of um, older gentlemen <laughs> around us said, well, you can't apply for that. Are you nuts? Because the first thing that, that industry will make money out of is, of course, the professional applications yes. on the mobile. Um, but we persisted um, against uh, the advice of a lot of people. And, uh, and then we got the money. <laughs> so did the four of you just start chatting together and start you know, realizing that there was potential here that led to the proposal, right? Um, we had had other funding together before, okay. yeah. and uh, and then there was this uh, guy Busse Dalbom. He had uh, sort of told us, "You need to work together." Um, he was sort of he had at the time he had a position where he had a little bit of an overview of Sweden and mm. what was going on, and so he had this idea that if you if I put these people together that they're going to be strong enough to yeah. survive in a world that otherwise is very much um, computer science driven or, you know, uh, so, and uh, that was amazing for us. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. So was it a huge proposal writing effort? Yeah. So 2004, we wrote a pre-proposal and we succeeded with that. Mm-hmm. And we got some funding to mm-hmm. actually write the full proposal. And then we wrote the full proposal. Um, we had to have industry funding in equal amounts as what we were asking for. From, That's a big from, challenge. It was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned quickly how to how to interact with with industry to make them commit to a huge thing yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, we learned together. It was uh, interest an interesting journey in that sense. So, what sort of arguments <clears throat> did you learn to make to industry? Mm. So, first of all. You have to understand, the company you're approaching, you have to understand what it is that they make money out of. 
you have to be serious about that. Mm. You know, you have to go and say, uh, we're doing this re research and it's remote from what you're doing. But if we do this and this, then you might actually have use of us in your, in your strategies and so on. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand what they're doing, uh, both at a uh, you know, large scale, but also locally. What makes the guy you're talking to, what is it that that person's success mm. is about? Right. So like, what would they benef benefit from personally in their career by associating themselves with yeah. you? Yeah. So um, companies like Ericsson, for example, in Ericsson research, you need to do patents and you need to uh, to show off results, uh, to have demos and so on. You're not so interested in writing papers. Yeah. It's nice if you have some papers, but <laughs> that's not. So what we had to do is to figure out how can we serve uh, that mm. that purpose. Um, so how do you find out what they need? Because you know, if we're in mm. academia, we don't often have insight into mm. industry and what are their drivers and mm. what's important to them? Yeah, a lot of talking. Uh, yeah. So Sweden is a small country, and yeah. so we, we do know a lot of people. So you have to talk to people um, a lot and, and try to figure out stuff. And also I remember drawing one hierarchical map after another. So this person is the boss of that person who's the boss of that person. Therefore, I need to talk to the one on top and the one at the bottom in order to squeeze the middle management because they are tied on money and mm -hmm. so they won't, you know, mm -hmm. they're actually sitting on the budget. They're so being very strategic <laughs> yes. then. Well, I learned to, well, we learned to be strategic. I don't think we were. Mm -hmm. um, and we also learned to be bold and to, to not only be servants to them, but to yeah. say, look, we think the world is turning. It's going in this direction. And we know you can't afford to do a lot of research in that direction. But we will do it. And we will get government funding to do it if you <laughs> engage with us yeah. in this way. And you can benefit then in this yeah. way that fits yeah. with your And We'll take the risk. We'll yeah. take high risk. Yeah. Uh, like we were saying, well, there will be many, many mobile services. You have to remember, this is 2004. Yes. So... And, and we were like, ah, oh, three don't... years, three years before the smartphone, yeah. the first iPhone came out. Yeah, I think two thousand and eight. I yeah. think the iPhone came, so it was like four years before. Yeah. And we were saying, well, Java is not going to work, is it? You know, and and this and that. So, and and so we said, well, let's let's pretend it's already happened. What then? So we were trying to be, I usually say, eight years into the future. Mm. Um, for them to listen to us strategically. Um, or I was also talking at the time about sensors. I was saying there will be many sensors that are on your body and in the environment. And the, the, these apps will be thriving off these. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and of course, these people, you know, people at Ericsson Research, they know these things. They're also in the future, but mm. they might benefit from having us do some of the mm. stuff they wouldn't dare to do inside the organization. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's how we worked. Uh, so that, that sounds like a big learning curve. Yeah, it was. And then when you got the funding, yeah. and te was it 10 years up front? Uh, it's, it was divided into contracts of first two years, then three years, three years and two years. So, so. having to show outputs at the end of those periods to yeah. get the next period. Yeah. Yeah. So you ended up with the center with what about thirty people and a large number of a, a yeah. number of large companies. Well, you know, funding attracts funding, so we ended up being after a while like forty-five, fifty people, 
actually working in the center. Yeah. Some of them paid by industry sitting with us, yeah. some on other grants, some on the mobile life funding, you know, so so it grew to be at its peak. It was like 45, yeah, 50 people maybe sitting in the, uh, yeah. So what were your other learning curves then well. around <laughs> managing that? Managing because that, that's a huge skill. That's, that's uh, nothing in your PhD training no. actually no. prepared you for that. No. So what were, yeah. Yeah. No, there's uh, a lot of stuff you learn and you learn the hard way. And I um, I wish I'd, I'd figured out some of it earlier. But um, you have to learn everything from strange things like doing IPR agreements. What is an IPR agreement? What Intellect, is IPR? Intellectual property. <laughs> yeah, intellectual property, property rights. rights. Mm. So when you have a collaboration like that with industry, yeah. uh, you have to have yeah. uh, something regulating what happens if we do a patent, who will own the patent and who will you know, mm. be able to make money out of it. So stuff like that. But the management, growing a research group, I had for some reason done that a couple of times before. Mm -hmm. um, at, at a smaller scale or a similar it, scale? I was in, in year 2000, I was the head of a lab at six. That was mm. about 25 people. Okay. So... And I think my career has been like that. I start something that where I think, oh, this is going to be small and lovely. It will be seven people. Seven is great. Seven plus minus two. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, the and, then, and then, boom, something happens. And then it grows to be uh, bigger. So I had yeah. done it before and tried to return a couple of times to smaller groups. Mm. Um, so with this, we grew to be a big group. And we had decided, and, and I don't know if that was good, and it's still... Mm, difficult we decided that the four of us would be equals mm -hmm. so we would Very work democratic and yeah. dare i say scandinavian yeah in its approach yeah yeah and that is of course not an easy decision yeah so we decided that we would in order to minimize conflicts between us that we would divide the money very um carefully like equal piles yeah. um we would also, if we pulled in funding together, you know, if there was a reason that people said, well, we want to give you more funding because you're mobile life, then we would also divide that funding by four, you know. So, so we worked according to that principle. Um, the bad thing about that is that we then built our groups to be four groups rather than yeah. looking for uh, cross fertilization always between the groups. Mm -hmm. Were you physically located <clears throat> together? Yeah. Or? yeah. So what I so what I hoped would be happening and um, was happening is that, of course, the people further down, our PhD students and so on, they would talk to one another mm. and they would benefit from mm. the fact that they were sitting in the same office and we had seminars and intellectual discussions and so on. They also benefit from seeing us quarreling over intellectual academic topics. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was good. But I think um, I don't know how we should have done it. But I think we could have benefit, benefited a bit more if we had borrowed methods from one another. Mm, what, research methods? Yeah. Okay, have you got any specific examples of so, that? So uh, Oscar Julien was working way more from you first do uh, some kind of ethnographic study yeah. and then you use that as a basis for your design process. And he had a very, um, very interesting way of sort of figuring out who to study. So he would study rally drivers in the north of Sweden or, he, or people driving their bikes, bikers, and what they found interesting or... Um, 
or something like that, you know. And then he used that to 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 really carefully hone maybe a few design ideas that he would then implement. Um, so the first part of his process I was not using. Mm-hmm. The other part I think I had perhaps a stronger skill in the mm-hmm. in the uh, design mm-hmm. side, so we could have uh, worked differently. Um, with uh, Lacheric, he's always been fascinated by technology. He's like, what I want is for people to come up to a demo I've done and say, oh, that's cool, cool tech. <laughs> and so he had a stronger technology-driven, um, like you, you take some technology and you mm. feel it, you touch it, you mm. interact with it until you figure out what you can do with it. Mm. And then he also used some cool methods to combine with that technology understanding. Uh, I could have benefited from his yeah. tech-savvy and then Annika, she was interacting with these live-action role-playing people, strange people, very interesting people, people that would show up in the office looking like uh, vampires or <laughs> or acting in role or whatever. So, so that added this this um, wonderful atmosphere to to mobile life where mm. it felt unpredictable. You mm. got to your office mm. and there would be stuff happening uh, that was super interesting, uh, and her interest in those marginal practices mm. or not marginal because it's a big movement but that was super interesting as well yeah. <clears throat> so you said you're not sure what you could do could have done mm. but any any thoughts of what you could have done because so it is like you're all complementary in very interesting ways yeah so at the time we were younger <laughs> And we needed to build our own research careers. We mm. needed to build our own CVs. We mm. needed to have our own research groups, our own PhD students, and so on. Um, I think if we had reserved some of the funding for projects that were joint, and we did a little bit, but not enough. Yeah. If we had had like a little uh, pile of money where we said, well, you can only get this money if you collaborate with this, you know, across the groups or something, then that would have been, yeah. you know, it's always about money, resources. Yeah. It is. You it know, is so. because you need to employ people to <laughs> do the work. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's but I, it's not like we did not influence. We, of course yeah. we did. But And uh, the very fact that you're talking about the work that they did and yeah, yeah. appreciate what you know, the, yeah. the strengths and complement, complementary areas. Yeah. It's just an interesting tension, isn't it, around... Mm-hmm. The ways in which we're recognised as individuals, yeah, and that can work against, yes, actually maybe doing much more interesting yeah. research that isn't immediately identifiable as belonging to one person or another. Yeah, and working yeah. together has enormous benefits, but it also means compromising. Yeah, and uh, I've I've since then read up. I didn't find any literature at the time, but I've since then read up on. There's this paper by somebody I can't remember the name of who's, who talks about uh, eight mistakes you can ma- make when you build a center. Mm-hmm. One of them is to allow professors to go off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. You have to make them commit to working together. It's like you have to. <laughs> That's the yeah. only way that they will get out of their comfort zone and do something they wouldn't have done mm-hmm. otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were committed to to an extent. Um, but maybe we could have done even more. Yeah. Even more. Did people come to joint seminars? <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. So there, there was oh, we that... had a very, very strong culture. Very much like you come to the seminars. And we had, you know, the Swedish fika. So uh, what, it's coffee, coffee, coffee breaks. <laughs> so we had one enforced fika every week on Wednesdays where everybody had to come. 
and drink every, coffee. And drink coffee <laughs> and sit around and socialize. We call it the enforced socializing. <laughs> And it's so funny because I, I would walk through the center. This is an open office landscape. I would walk through the center and say, okay, now it's three o'clock and it's Wednesday. It's enforced socializing. You come now. Mm-hmm. And people would be, yeah, 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 but I just need to, you know. And then they would come and then I couldn't make them leave because yeah. they were like, blah, 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 yeah. you know, talking about yeah. their research. Uh, and so these things are super important. Mm. So we did that. We did joint trips. We would hold full day meetings at a partner location. We would hold a meeting at Ericsson or, or uh, Nokia or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So we really mm-hmm. worked hard on uh, making this one center. Yeah. I could tell you, if you want to, I could tell you some of the issues with being for yes. research, yeah. <laughs> strong yeah. Uh, people. We could, what you want to do as an academic is to work with people who actually want something, who want to do something, who want to change the world, who, who are, you know, that, who are trying to do something. I want those strong people around. But anybody who is like that is going to be hard to work with. You said before about, <laughs> you know, the fights and arguments that yes. you have intellectually. Yes, yeah. which is lovely. I love that, yes. but it's also painful, of course. Mm. Um, but I think the mistake we made was we assumed that the four of us would be there for 10 years. And I remember, uh, because we had academic advisors, and Tom Rodden, who I know you talk to uh, in your podcast, <clears throat> he said, you should have written up a rule for what happens if one of you guys leave. Uh, how do you then distribute the power between mm-hmm. you and, and mm-hmm. figure out what to do? Um, and we didn't. And that was stupid. Of course, strong people with strong wills and amazing careers will at some point maybe look for another job. Yeah. And yeah. so the first one to leave after five years was uh, Lachey Conquest. He got a really good job at Yahoo, mm-hmm. Yahoo Labs. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, wanted to take the step, you know, to yeah. go to Silicon Valley, to see some of his stuff go from academia out there, you know. So, so that was absolutely fine and it was good for the center to to see some of our work get out there, you yeah. know. So we were happy, yeah. sort of. But of course, then we were only three, right? Um, and then uh, a year or two later, Annika got an offer to be, uh, Annika Van got an offer yeah. to be a professor in Uppsala, Uppsala University. And she had been commuting from Uppsala to, uh, to, to here, to Shista, for what, 25 years or something. So she was like, I really want this and there are not that many professors yeah. chairs that that yeah. pop up and so then she left and then there were only two of us me and oscar you know mm-hmm. uh, at the time barry brown had joined the center mm-hmm. so then we included him and we tried other younger people but that is you know it's it, we weren't prepared for yeah. the changes in dynamics mm. for people who've mm. agreed already when they applied versus a group of people where it's not clear yeah. why you bring in somebody yeah. new or not, you know, so that yeah. was a hassle. Did you have to justify it to the funding body as well, any of those changes? No. They were okay. No. Yeah. no, that was fine. And we kept being super productive. Yeah. It was just that uh, I think we were unprepared. Yeah. Um, so were there other changes that happened? Because that is a long time mm. to be running a same yeah. overall research agenda. I know the details of the research mm. changes all the time. Mm. What were the other big changes mm. that happened over that time? So one of the big problematic things is that some of the companies we were working with and depending on yes. died. Sony Ericsson. Yes, and when you have to for provide example, 
matching funding. That's <laughs> exactly. A big and it's not, hole. you know, and, and the funding body, the, the government funding body, Vinova, said, no, you have to come up to that level. So we don't care if, if Sonia Ericsson has left you because they're dying. You still have to get the money. So then we have to bring in a new partner or make the, the existing partners uh, raise their, their funding. So we had, we always had a little bit more than we needed from industry. So it was fine. But it was, uh, for me, when I was the head of the center, this was super scary. Yeah. It's like you like, oh my God. Yes, definitely. And it's like you, you can feel it now afterwards. I, I know what to look for. When mm -hmm. they stop communicating, when okay. they stop coming to your workshops, when they stop being super interested, then you know something is going on. You know, either it's a reorganization of the thing or the company is going mm -hmm. a bit downhill. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to follow also the media, you know, follow what is going on with these companies and which ones are rising and which ones are going down and why. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So it also sounds like a lot of your time wasn't spent directly in research, no. but facilitating yeah. the research center. Yeah. yeah. So I was the head of the center for the first years, and then Oscar took over for a couple of years, and then it was we were supposed to sort of take turns. But mm -hmm. then as Annika and Logique left, <laughs> I, I got it back uh, again. And so um, it's, it's double, because you also get to shape... Uh, a lot of things when you're ahead of the because then you you, you interact with these companies mm. and you can see how that makes your research more honest mm. and more relevant mm. you can't go off on crazy stuff without thinking about what what does this really mean yeah. for you know are we really pointing to some some relevant future here so to me that was useful but it was also a lot of work mm. a lot of work what were, what were some of the basic ways that you would recommend people to work with companies if they're in research partnerships, given your experiences? So we had a... So when you're working in industry, if you're working in a, in a big company or a small company, interacting with researchers is your second priority, mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. So my... Even though we think we're the centre of the world and, we, and everyone we think, should we care. Thought, we thought we had some really clever <laughs> things. They should be, you know... Coming, knocking at your door, knocking at the door, and saying, "Can I have it?" You know, and no, they did not always. And um, we're also, as academics, we're sometimes really bad at communicating what our stuff means, uh, connecting the dots. If you see what I mean. So, so let's take Ericsson as an example. So this is a, a company providing the infrastructure for the net. So, and we were doing applied research into user apps and stuff. Mm. Why should they care about that? What is it that we were seeing in building all these apps and uh, interactive mats and uh, lights and whatever? What is it that we were seeing that they should care about? Translating that, making sure that you can you somehow relate to what they're doing without necessarily knowing exactly what they are doing because they can't tell you. Mm. Because it's secrets, <laughs> some of it. So we had a bunch of, of, of ways of doing this. One was we made everybody in the center work with, for three months with one of the partners. Excellent. At some point during their... Yeah. their as an internship yeah. or as a, yeah. a secondment. Yeah. And that was easy with companies like Microsoft Research mm. because they do that. So mm. that was no, no big deal. But with some of the other companies, this was a bit of a like, oh, okay. So we get somebody we, work with us for three months, you know. Um, but that means that they sign a contract with that company, allowing them to see the inside, knowing all the secrets. They might not be able to tell you all of it when they come back, mm. but they have that with them yeah. in their, in their, in their understanding. Yeah. 
Um, so that was one one way of uh, making sure that our contacts were closed. We were also trying the other way around, you know, to get people from industry to sit with us half time or something like doing uh, PhDs uh, mm-hmm. and so on. So we had that a few times. Um, which is harder because the research process is so slow. Yeah, different, so, we operate yeah, on different time yeah, cycles, don't yeah. we? Yeah, so that was difficult. But And then the other thing we did was make sure that we had joint workshops regularly. Mm-hmm. That what, we wouldn't, what would be regularly? Six like months? every project, and we would have seven, eight projects in mm-hmm. the center. Every project would have uh, one or two per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, different smaller groups and so yeah. and they would always have a bunch of people that from the different industry partners uh, who were assigned to that particular project so that we wouldn't overload one person yeah. within the company with all of these contacts and workshops and stuff but we tried to sort of always try to look for are there other yeah. people in your organization yeah. that we could work with so um, and and a lot of work was done in those workshops um, and then, uh, yeah, doing these trips together, because when you do a trip together, visiting, we visited Japan, Silicon Valley, India, and now the recent trip was around Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is together with researchers and yeah, with the representatives yeah. from the companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you travel together, you see stuff together, and then you talk, talk about, about it together. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Then you understand yeah. a lot about their strategies, the way they talk mm-hmm. about it. When they, when they find something interesting, you're like, ah. So this is what they're t- thinking. Mm. You know. mm. So you have mm. to be uh, you have to be super open to all of these uh, influences, mm. and you have to figure out how to find those people within the organization that mm. are interested in that, uh, interested in communicating and yep. shaping strategies and visions mm. for their company. And given how they're always changing, as you yeah. said, that's an ongoing process yeah. from the sounds of it. Then, because you're always needing to feel yeah. out who's currently there or what's yeah. going on. And I talk about it now as if, oh, working with companies, mm. but it's not working with companies. It's mm. working with certain individuals. That is what we're doing. It's yeah. the same as with academia. Relationship building. Yeah. Mm. It's the certain people that are open and curious and interested mm. and uh, questioning your, mm. your, your thinking in, a, in, in interesting ways. And those are the ones you want. Yeah. What about managing people within the within the center? Mm. That's a large number of people. Mm. What were your big lessons about people management, growing people, building a culture? Mm. So the center was always and still is extremely interdisciplinary, and that is oof, hard work. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, so whenever you build something, for example, and we we have built, that's been our, our thing, that we do build stuff that actually works and mm. that we put it out with people. Um, <clears throat> when you build something, the, the, the person being the software engineer would say, well, I'm the one in charge of what we're going to build because I know what the technology is going to be. And then you have the industrial designer, well, you, you know, I'm doing the design. And then you have the behavior scientist person said, well, I did the studies. I know what should be in the system. And then you have, you know, so so all of that, you had we had to learn how to be respectful uh, without backing off entirely mm. you still have mm. to do that you know so mm. um, so there was a lot of work just trying to put together these themes uh, team teams that would be able to build and do more than they mm. would do individually mm. and that is not only about competence it's also about personality and it's about fostering uh, a way of talking uh, uh, where you feel safe and yeah. creative 
and and dare to be open about your your little ideas that might feel like really stupid, and you're the youngest one on the team, and always, you know. So um, always being sort of encouraging and open, mm. um, and helping, you know, going like oh, all of that stuff you said is no good, but this thing, that oh, let's go with that, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, but then of course sometimes it, it does not work. So do you have explicit discussions about? how to work together yes. or is it more by role modeling or no a lot of uh, actually would uh, whenever there was one of those for example one of those interdisciplinary mm. problems i would look up the person who mm. i felt was not listening to the other competences and mm -hmm. i would say look you have to try and understand where they come from their field uh, and what they're bringing mm. uh, and you 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 need to back off this part mm. of the design work but this part you need to to step up, mm. you know. So I would I would do that explicitly. Mm. Um, yeah, it sounds like you've got antennas out all over the place. Yeah, you know, antennas mm. out into industry and what's happening there. Yeah. To keep track of that. And antennas out internally yeah. to see what's going on and yeah. where to step in. Yeah, and then you have mm. to because yeah, you go from. I was a researcher who had had a group and, and so on, but where you can control the research topic very narrowly mm. um, to stepping up to having a vision of, mm. of a, you know, a grand scale, like where is the world heading and where do I want it to head? And how can I defend that we are going to do enjoyment and playfulness mm. and that that is important in itself? Valid not, research. Yeah, that, that this is not, it's not about doing a game so that you can learn math. Yeah. It's doing a game so that you can enjoy the game. And if we don't take that seriously, we're not going to learn anything about design. And we might later use it for, you know, teaching math or whatever, but yeah. that's not what we're doing. And so being able to, to scale up to that kind of level, visionary level, and understand what that vision means for redrawing the map of industry, of the ecosystem of who, which industrial sector will thrive off which like i remember when we sort of said well look now it's internet of things and um, this was in 2010 2011 and you go like oh that means that we need to have slightly different partners and this is where we brought in ikea we also wanted to bring in hennes and Maurits, but we failed but anyway mm -hmm. consumer products mm. are going to be connected what does that mean? Well, it means that IKEA will be looking for collaborations with uh, Google or Samsung or something. And we have companies that are super interested in that. And so what if we, you know, so that level of reasoning, I think, yeah, again, as an academic, there was nothing in, in the research methods or anything mm. that you could use to do. No. But you have to do it if you yeah. don't have a vision. Yeah. Can you have a vision? Can you be operating at that level of always trying to keep track of the vision and, and being sensitive to where the world's heading mm. as well as be involved in the details or do you need to let the details and hands-on research go? I let it go a bit and uh, I felt in the periods when I was leading the centre I felt like it was okay for a year or two yeah. and then I started to feel like I was losing contact with uh, the reality. Uh, so and you still need some <clears throat> contact with the reality of the research <clears throat> in order to feed the strategic yeah. vision as well. Because it's in the projects. So like if you, if you take, for example, Internet of Things, everybody was talking about that and we were, we were setting up big seminars and there was a huge interest in our research in that area. 
But it was not until I really worked in one of the projects and understood that this is not about how many sensors we can put up, because that's the first thing you think. Yeah. So, oh, there's going to be a lot of sensors and a lot of data. What, you know. No, it's about the other thing. It's the actuation. What is the system doing in the world? Because the sensors you can add if you know what you're going to use them for. But it's not like you have a bunch of data and it's all neutral and you find patterns in the data and then, boom, the services will come out of that or the actuation will come out of that. You have to think the other way around. So this is bringing your same sensitivities as what you brought to your PhD topic. Just play it out yeah. in, in more yeah. modern days. Yeah. yeah. And so then, and that feeling I did not get until we were actually building. I was in a system where I realized that none of us is able to think backwards. You know, so it's a chicken and egg problem. Mm. None of us is really good at going the other way around, you know, from actuation to what do we then need. So, yeah, stuff like that. You have to be in contact with the uh, with the actual physical yeah. work. So you've just, just almost literally returned from a sabbatical just a couple of weeks ago, from yeah. a year-long sabbatical. Yeah. Where I imagine you had time to reconnect to some research mm. and thinking as mm. well. Do you want to talk yeah. us through that experience? Yeah, so it was really the, this feeling that I had lost contact again entirely. Mm. And um, we'd been doing some super interesting work in my uh, project within the center mm. on some aesthetic design, designing with the body and emotion and sociality and aesthetics. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'd been allowed to be part of that project like half a day a week. <laughs> The rest of the time I had to do all this management stuff, but at least I'd done some stuff. And I was so much longing to to understand properly, what is this? What is it that we've done? Why mm -hmm. is it so interesting? Mm -hmm. And why is this theoretically and methodologically and in terms of how it addresses me as a person, why is it so interesting? Mm -hmm. I need to, to become deeper and uh, more reflective and understand this. So, uh, so you can't I was do that in half a day a week. No, can't. Uh -uh. So then I got this opportunity, and um, and it's just amazing. I just feel so privileged that I was allowed to do it. Um, and I still had to do work for stuff at home, you know. Mm. Uh, so I would work like two, three hours a day, maybe, with stuff at home. But the rest of the time, ah, I've been reading <laughs> and writing <laughs> and analyzing real data and, ah, oh, amazing. <laughs> Just seeing the difference in your face and body, yeah. it clearly is energizing yeah. and what ex what's exciting. Yes, it's so good. And it's also because I passionately believe that this is this is going to save the world. Mm. <laughs> this research topic is that shit. It's what we should be doing, mm. all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. no, it was really, really good. So I started my sabbatical by going um, to Richard Schusterman, who is a philosopher and mm -hmm. works in, in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I met him before and invited him to the CHI conference to give a talk and so on. And he was really nice and said, yes, yes, you're welcome. So we would sit under a tree at the campus talking philosophy oh. for hours, talking about, you know, knowledge and the meaning of life <laughs> and what it is and... And, and it's just, it was so invigorating. It was just making me grasp again, why are we doing this? Yeah. 
Because you can become a bit dirty on the inside, a bit black in your soul when you are compromising with what you think industry wants or what the society wants or what your funder wants or whatever. That you're delivering, delivering, delivering and then reconnecting with that, no, this is actually important. Our research is important Mm. Mm. for real, for Mm. real people. And being able to think that through more deeply as well, what that means. Yeah. That was just amazing. Mm. So I spent the uh, the spring there in Florida with him. Uh, and then I went home for the summer because I have family and I had a second granddaughter yeah. that I wanted to welcome. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, but I pretended as if I was away. Yes. So I, yeah. yeah. Did and you not then, go into the office? No, I did go into the office. And, um, and then during the autumn, I was in Santa Cruz with mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Espister mm-hmm. at uh, UC Santa Cruz. Yeah. When we met in May, mm-hmm. you said things were changing or you realised some, mm. some things and you, you, you want to make sure you make these changes. Yes. So I also not, not only reconnecting with uh, research and reading and, and so mm-hmm. on, but also reconnecting with myself. Um, and in my case, I feel like those are so tightly connected. You know, I do research on what I passionately feel myself mm-hmm. is important to me. And so um, <clears throat> when I went to Florida, I decided I'm not going to try and, and uh, socialize and get any friends. <laughs> I'm going to try to be all alone so that I can meet myself, um, which was awful, awful. I had a lot of anxiety attacks and, um, and, uh, and, yeah, and I felt lonely and, and so on. And I never lived alone. I met my husband when I was 20, so I'd never mm-hmm. lived alone. Right. So I was living alone for two months, which I know is not very long, but yeah, anyway. Uh, what that helped me do was also to uh, unravel some of the uh, very, very strong rules I'd uh, set up for myself. In order to survive as a center manager, I had to set up a, a bunch of rules like uh, you always have to go to bed 10 o'clock in the evening and you have to not work after nine because otherwise you can't sleep. You have to sleep. <laughs> you have to get up in the morning, you do this and that, but yeah. Or you, the other stupid rule I had was I'm not allowed to be creative in my free time because then it might be used up, all my creativity. All your creativity, your limited resource. <laughs> my limited resource. <laughs> and uh, what else? Yeah, I had a bunch of these things. Uh, I was also, you know, I had, since I have kids now, they're grown up and I have grandchildren, but managing a household mm. and working. Mm. Yeah. I had set up all sorts of rules about how to be efficient, like never go up the stairs without taking something with me and never go down the <laughs> stairs with that. You know, so I had all these things. These were just implicit rules in your head yeah. or had you actually oh, no, articulated some it, them? Some of it was explicit, very mm-hmm. explicit. Um, some of them don't sound bad, like getting mm-hmm. enough sleep. It's, it's a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing. But you end up in a situation where everything you do, you do in order to be able to work more. Right, so it was more the orientation of the rules or the motivation for them. That it was so, it was, I was punishing myself. And if I, for example, happened to spend a couple of hours, like with you now, mm. I could have spent these hours reading mm. something important. Mm. And then I would punish myself for, for having uh, allowed myself the luxury of a fika with Geraldine. <gasps> So what would punishing be? Just just in your <coughs> hitting head, myself, beating yourself. Yeah, yeah beating myself. And that is not a good life. You you don't live to mm. 
to constrain yourself like that. That is not helping your creativity or your mm. uh, your ability to be a human being. So, um, but it took me a while to get down from this activity level where I I didn't even have time to reflect on it. You yeah. Know? So, so I crash landed in Florida like boom. You know, no meetings. I was like, oh, what do you do then? Oh, actually going down to the beach for a bit, doing yoga. Oh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Because I used to do yoga, but in order to survive the stress, not because I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's really interesting that things that are ostensibly good things, like yoga, mm. like sleeping, mm. when they're framed all about being able to maintain the machine, mm. the working machine mm. to produce in academia, mm. Mm. It's unbalanced. From it's what you're unbalanced. Saying. Yeah. So, how did you create a different sense of you and a different relationship <clears throat> to the rules or no rules? Yeah. So, I'm not sure I've still succeeded, but I actually do believe that one can change. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who are like, yeah, no, you know, you have certain personality traits and those are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And people will refer to themselves as extrovert or introvert or whatever. I think, yes, that might be partly true, but you can also change. Yeah. You can change. Yeah. Um, but it has to start from a core emotional, uh, subjective, and intellectual experience. So it's not about setting up a different rule as, you know, it, it is really about recognizing the emotional state I get in when I when I start doing this, like, oh, now I have to go to sleep because otherwise I won't be able, you know. Mm -hmm. What is that state? And, and what is the other emotional state? that I could transport myself into. Um, so and what would be an alternative to that? So for me, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I don't know if I'm going to succeed, so it feels really scary to talk about this. But when I was in Florida and later in Santa Cruz, I found a way to actually do my yoga exercises and to enjoy myself, mm -hmm. to actually spend weekends without working mm -hmm. or... Um, and to feel very much collected. And this is also because the research topic was some aesthetics, which is about slowing down and listening to um, very, very small signals mm -hmm. in your body mm -hmm. and in your thinking, to daring to, to feel like right now I can feel I'm, I'm breathing a bit too much up in, the, in my mm -hmm. lungs, too high up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I have a little pain here somewhere in, in my chest, a little contraction. You know, so, so you don't feel that if you're not, if you're all up in your head yeah. and you're like, yeah. Yeah. to run from one thing to the other. Yeah. Oh. So, um, so we've been doing at work, we've been doing as part of that project, we've been doing Feltenkrais exercises at work, mm -hmm. spending an hour laying about on the floor, doing very, very small movements. And, uh, yeah, remember... To, to, to learn to read the body, reconnect to the body. Yeah, otherwise you can't design for that or yeah. with that. Yeah. So you have to know, know yourself in yeah. order to... So those uh, Feltenkrais exercises, um, sometimes I came running to them, going like, ah! And I had to relax. 
I have to relax yeah, now. To relax a minute to go. One hour. Oh my god. Let's get <laughs> let's get going. Uh, and then I would do the exercise, and then afterwards a complete reorientation. Because what what you have to remember is all of that stuff that you get worked up about, or that you is it really that important? Yeah. Is it you know, or or even if it is important, can I have a different attitude about it? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Have a that different is, attitude about it. Yeah. And I've learned that, yeah. I think. And so I feel, I also feel like this gives, uh, if we're talking about leadership, mm. the other key, the, the worked up one, did not spread a good work environment around herself. I did not make my PhD students and others secure and happy and creative. In what way are you saying you didn't do that? Because I these these are strong bodily signals that you give off, right? right. So you, you're dripping so stress around. I'm dripping stress around myself. Mm. Um, this other person that I try to be now, the the the, the one that is allowing herself mm. to listen mm. um, and be collected and and listen, enjoy. Listen to who? To listen to uh, to the other alternative self, mm-hmm. because I don't believe in one self. Mm-hmm. I believe that there are many different selves, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you you can you can craft uh, yeah. and hone the ones that you like. Um, so this this one needs to be there because when I am, and when I meet people properly with that person, uh, then that gives them energy and uh, yeah. We're human. We're human. We're, yeah. It's it's what I say, what I look like, my eyes, my yeah. face. All yeah. of that is what you pick up. Yeah. You have that. It's super interesting to meet you because you have that calmness around you. makes people want to be with you. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It, it often doesn't feel like that inside. I, I can know. really relate to the, the you know, this, yeah. the. All the things going on in your yeah. head. Yeah. No, but there's something yeah. about you that makes me feel like, yeah, with her I'm okay. I'm safe if I'm yeah. around her. And that's what I want to be as well. I want to be uh, like that. And I think it's so important when we're in positions of leadership or management mm. or working with people that we do influence just by our presence yeah. and how we are in our bodies yeah. and our heads. Mm. And often we're too much in our heads and not yeah. But it sounds like it was very important to you to create the space to reconnect with that. Yeah. Do you think you could have done it within everyday life, continuing at work? Or did you really need to step out? I think I needed to step out. Um, yeah. I was working in that direction already mm. before, but I needed to step out. Because the other thing that is problematic for me, I don't know how you respond to these things, but um, you get so flattered. As an academic, somebody comes and says, well, Kia, do you want to give a keynote mm-hmm. in, uh, mm-hmm. in uh, India? And you go like, oh, India, yay, keynote, <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> and, then, and then you look at your calendar and you go, oh, uh, hang on. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yes. Or in my case, it's this, you know, Sweden is a very small country. And so just because I enjoy giving talks mm. and so on, and mm. I have this political... And value-based uh, mm. strand to my work, 
uh, I've been invited into uh, political uh, settings. I've been an advisor to the Minister of mm. uh, Infrastructure and mm. I've been in something called Almedal and it's a week every year where politicians meet and, and so on and so on. I've done a lot of stuff like that mm. and it's super flattering because it's close to uh, to the powers and, yeah. uh, and it's an, yeah. uh, allows me to influence. Influence, yes. About so, things you care about as yeah. well. Yeah. But I can't do all of it. Yeah. I have to make choices. And same thing with media. Because, again, because it's a small country, mm. I'm female yeah. and professor yeah. at KTH. They, uh, I have, I would say, one person per week contacting me wanted an interview. Wow. Yeah. And so I had to make up rules and say, nope. So these are good rules now. I hope so. These are, so this is, how, do, how will you decide which things you will say yes to and which things not. So maybe, again, I put up a bit too strict rules again. But uh, So I'm saying no to everything to do with media, mm-hmm. unless they interview me about some aesthetic design. Mm-hmm. I say no to giving talks to industry mm-hmm. and uh, keynotes, and unless it is about some aesthetic design. Right. Uh, I try to focus only on academic uh, settings mm-hmm. for a while. I'm sure I will get back to working with industry, but I've done it for 10 years. Yeah. It's time for me to take a step back and become more academic yeah. again. And you can only do so much. Yeah. As you said, when you, you can say yes and then you look at your calendar and yes. go, oh, how do I squeeze that? Yes. Because it's not just the travel to India and being there to do the talk. Yeah. It's the preparation beforehand. Yes. It's the you know, And you have to know why you're doing it. And so if you do it because you're flattered, and because it's a notch in your belt. Mm. Or are you doing it because mm. you're actually learning something important in mm. India or you are communicating your research mm. in a good way, you know, whatever, you know. So I had to, I have to think about that. So I make people who phone me, I make them email me so that I can think before I answer. That's nice. So yeah. you, you create that pause. Yes. So that you, oh, that's very good. Sometimes that's I don't even good. answer my mobile phone. Yeah. I have a message where yeah. I say, uh, Email me. Yeah. <clears throat> so that you don't, you're less likely to react. You can actually respond. You yeah. can take some time out to think. Yeah. 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 I like the very thought through reasons for <laughs> why you would and wouldn't do things mm. and recognizing that it could change. But yeah, it will change. I know it will change. So but pulling it back and making more reasonable choices. Yeah. What other changes are you making or have you made? So going deeper into this academic. Um, during my sabbatical, what I did was I wrote this book, which is not yet finished, but anyway. <laughs> and yeah, so I need to work on that and I need to put some effort into that. I'm not so sure I'm going to write that many books. It's a big thing for me. I'm Swedish and my English skills are okay, but they're not, you know, it's hard for me to do these things. So, um, so I'm thinking that I need to put some effort into this book because it might be the only one I write. And so, keeping my eyes on that and making sure that that is also accompanied with the kind of exercises like Feltenkrais and yoga, mm-hmm. whatever, that reconnects me with what I'm writing about. So, so you're scheduling I, particular times that are designated yeah. book writing or yeah. how are you yeah. managing that? Yeah. Uh, now <laughs> people are sort of putting stuff in my calendar that is squeezing those weeks. Because now you're back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And also trying to keep, you know, do the stuff that I enjoy, like mm. horseback riding and, and mm. yoga and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are they in your diaries explicit mm. things that you block out? Yeah, they are. 
I hear the little tension between mm. having created the space for yourself while mm. you're on sabbatical to think and to be and to mm. do the things that you want to do for mm. different motivations mm. and then coming, stepping back into everyday work. Mm. So another. the big conflict for me has always been that I care about other people and that they get what they need from me. So my PhD students and my colleagues and so on, if they ask me for stuff, then I need to deliver. And I always deliver. I, I, that's another sort of ethical rule that I've always had. Like, if I promise to do something, I will do that, um, <clears throat> no matter what. And me, myself, has always been last on that list of priorities. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I can change all of it because I enjoy being with other people and yeah. I enjoy delivering when I've said that I'm yeah. going to deliver. So the only thing I can do is promise less, right? Yes. But also, you know, you talked about putting yourself last on the list of priorities, mm. but you also talked before about if you're not looking after yourself well, other people are affected. Yes. So in some ways, yeah, that's actually saying you need to put yourself mm. first on your list of priorities mm. so that you can yes. yeah. be there for the other people. And I'm a little bit better at it now, maybe. Yeah. But the other thing is this, uh, I think as academics, we have to think a little bit about what the organization tells us that we need to do and then take a stance on whether we're going to do that or not. Mm. So uh, <clears throat> we were traveling with the Mobile Life Center now last week uh, mm. across Europe and we saw different research groups. Mm. And it was just so interesting to see how they're all fulfilling these uh, requirements that everybody puts on us. Like you need to pull in funding, you need to build stuff, you need to um, have PhD students, a certain number of PhD students. The more you have, the better. You need to do this, you need to do that in order to be a successful research leader. And um, and there are a lot of duties that sort of are hinted at me now that I'm back. Like, mm. you, maybe, Kia, you need to be the, you know, taking care of this team or you need to, to be a, a department head at some point or whatever. And I know that this is true, the organization demands mm. it. But I don't think, honestly, mm. in my heart, I don't believe that that's the best use of me yeah. that they could do. Yeah, I'm sure I can do it, and I will do it if I say yes. I will do it yeah. carefully. Yeah, I'm sure you uh, would. But uh, there are things I can do that mm -hmm. are important, really important. And this, this sounds like an occasion to bring in the same strategies as working with industry to work yes. with the yes. internal people to say what yeah. what do they need, what other things do they yeah. need that I can argue, yeah. that I can deliver for them. Yes. And that I know it's is, different to what they yes, think that they, yes. they want to do. With and that I know it sort of comes together into a whole. Yeah. And not dividing myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That centering that you found on, mm -hmm. on the sabbatical. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Keeping that protected. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, it is very hard. Uh, and I think you can only change so much in, in a short while. Mm. And, and you can do, the, the way I think about it now is I, I managed to secure funding together with Barry Brown and others, mm -hmm. Ilva Fenius mm -hmm. and so on. We, we secured funding now, so we have funding for five years. Mm -hmm. You're great at getting funding. Yeah, money is my thing. I'm, <laughs> like, oh, I'm such a good seller. <laughs> <laughs> Look at <laughs> 
so that is my forte. It's one mm -hmm. of the things I do really well. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but there is this thing where, as I said before, funding attracts more funding. Mm. So for me, it's now very important to say, I have now exactly mm -hmm. what I need. I mm -hmm. don't want any more. I don't mm. want any more funding now. Yep. This is what I want. And I'm going to stick to this for these five years. And if the others want to pull in funding, they can do that. Fine. Yep. And, and increase the group. But this is what I'm doing. It's a similar flattery argument there, yes. isn't it? That, yes. you know, I could get in more funding and yeah. then, yes, I've got more ticks. Yes. But at what cost? Yes. Because then you get all of this attention, right? You get the rector of Kotihoa sending you a congratulation email and you go like, mm, I'm so good. <laughs> um, so we have to guard against ourselves in some ways, don't we? Definitely. Definitely. Just, mm. And there are these prizes that we get right like i think you are also a distinguished speaker so these uh, regalia what do you call so them this, these, is the, these... this is the acm distinguished science yes, yes. that one yeah. yeah for example no but yeah. it's just as an example there's yeah. a bunch of these things yeah. where uh it's recognition for your work and it helps you to spread the the, the core the, the things that matter but mm. if you don't have a core if, yeah. if you don't know why am I doing this research? What yeah. is it that I'm changing in the world that I yeah. actually believe is good? So for me, during the autumn, being in the U.S. with Trump winning, I had to go, I'm sitting here writing a book. What on earth is that? Am I really contributing to society in a good way? And I had to go back and say, well, somesthetics to me is about finding your core, knowing yourself, slowing down, and being more empathic with mm. other people. So... This is what I really do believe that the world needs. Yep. It is a much slower way to success. It's not the same thing as going uh, uh, in one of those, um, uh, uh, like the, the women's march, uh, mm. you know, yes. uh, and so on. It, it is a, a different process, yep. but it's one that I do yep. believe in, and, and therefore I need to take this seriously. Yep. You know, so stuff like that, it's, it's, you have to have your core. Mm. If you don't have a core... Yeah. Then it doesn't matter if you get to be the ACM distinguished, yeah, exactly. uh, whatever. Yep. That's just uh, shallow mm. uh, and scattered. I mean, you, some of the things that you talked about before about just being scattered yeah. is the word that you used. Yeah. You know, so scattered versus being centered and yes. having being connected to that core. Yeah. But and of course, it's like come with it. the 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 issue has been for me. Um, it's like when you're in Sweden and you're a researcher. It's really hard to get recognized internationally. Mm. <clears throat> and I feel like, uh, if I were to complain a bit, that we've done research really early on mm. that does not get cited. And then some American does exactly the same thing and they get cited. And so uh, I have been longing for that recognition. I have been. Mm -hmm. And I know it's just a social system. Mm -hmm. It is, a, you know, you have to pop up and be mm -hmm. visible and then you get these recognition mm -hmm. things and you have to know the right people and so on. I know it's all about that. But it also matters to whether my research gets spread or not. Yeah. yeah. And um, Because you believe in the ideas. Yeah. And the, the work. Yeah. So that I have been struggling with. Now yeah. I've decided to stop caring about it but mm. it's been annoying mm. we know we did some i did some work on social navigation mm. extremely early mm. i know there's a whole like, culture of citation uh, practices that uh, we could discuss um, at length. um we should probably look at just uh you need to wrapping leave. up yeah. um are there any things that you've thought of that you would like to share that we haven't touched upon or 
any final thoughts? Um, yeah. So there were a couple of things I was thinking about before I, I met with you. One of those is um, I know people in Sweden think that I'm successful mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and that we, we were able to pull in all of that funding mm-hmm. and so on. Um, yeah. uh, but that was not without a lot of struggle. And I've met a lot of resistance and uh, really damaging ones. Mm. I've even been on sick leave due to stress uh, stress stuff because people have been nasty to me. Um, because when you do something that goes across, mm-hmm. it goes against, it's mm-hmm. a different form of orga- organization or a different way of doing research. As I said before, you're sticking, you're sticking your yeah, head yeah. out, you know, yeah. and of course you, you'll be hit. Yeah, so it um, takes... Bravery in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Bravery, true yeah. that. And I am brave. I'm not so scared of stuff, but I wasn't prepared for mm-hmm. how nasty some of that can be. Um, Perhaps because it's unexpected uh, as well. You sort of think that people around you will think, oh, but that's excellent that yes. she's pulling on all that yes. funding. That This will be good for the department, for yeah. the... For the fame and glory of, uh, you know, everything. Um, and yes, at, uh, I'm sure they do at some some level, yeah. but it's also a bloody hassle to have somebody like me around saying, no, I want my office to be an open office mm. office, and I want this and I want that, and I really, we need to do stuff this way, and it's going to be different because we need to be different. And that, that is annoying mm. for people mm. too. And, and it might seem like I'm stronger than I am. I'm not that strong. Yeah. So, uh, so even though I'm brave and I'm I'm sort of driven by these visions yes. and values and ethics and so on, yeah. I'm also fragile, yeah. very fragile. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so I I really wanted to say that <laughs> it talks to the importance of collegiality, mm. empathy, mm. being happy for one another, mm. supporting one another, yeah. and yet there's something about the culture that sets up the opposite about competition. It's yes. the fact that the four of you as leaders yeah. set up your individual groups reflected mm. those aspects of the culture about the individual needing to shine. Yes, of course. Mm. And it is also the case, yeah, well, yeah. different organisations will be different good at, you know, different... Mm. At, so six was such that if I pulled in funding, then the older, all the other ones were happy mm. because they knew that this took off some of the pressure of the joint funding that mm. I would, you know, mm. that they, there would be more joint funding for the yep. rest of them. Um, <clears throat> at the university, it's so big, so that is not always the case. It's more like you're competing for mm. for attention, you're competing for the internal funding to be co-funding to your projects yeah. and stuff like that. So, of course, they, sometimes they feel different about this. So moving from six to the university and, and uh, so on was a big cultural shock mm. to me and that I thought that people would be happy for me yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and they weren't always. <laughs> Sometimes there's a term called horizontal violence uh, mm. that, that reflects some mm. of that sort of peer-to-peer. Mm. Mm. And also you know at the time when we got this funding I was young and we were all young and um, I was female and so I got to be in the media and uh, you know what? You know the king was visiting, mm-hmm. uh, and and then they asked me to to give a talk. You know, and you know, so all of this stuff, right? Mm. Uh, and of course, to some people who'd been struggling for years and years and years and doing really good research, you get this this young woman uh, suddenly getting all of this attention because of her boobs. <laughs> Annoying. 
but it's not it's because of your work and your as well your but also my gender vision. yeah yeah and uh and i can see how that is annoying mm. you know very annoying mm. especially i was also you know strong and cocky and mm. uh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah and that's something i'd love to talk more at another time about as well about gender in computer science and mm. yeah how that plays out mm. yeah it's a complex complex issue it is they are complex yeah. issues yeah. so thank you so much for time openness mm. and really hope that you can find a way to to keep that centering mm. going on mm. Oh, I've said it publicly. Good, <laughs> making those good choices and no. keeping space for yourself. Yeah. 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 So, and all the best with the book. Look forward to seeing it. Oh, yeah, it. if it ever. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> see it. Yeah. So thanks, Kia. Thank you. You can find the summary notes and the related links for this podcast and all the podcast episodes at www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter.